Well, praise the Lord, saints. Wasn't that a glorious table? Yeah. Oh, I treasured uh, the table meeting we had very much. And uh, saints, remember Revelation 1.10, uh, John said, I was in spirit on the Lord's day. Is it the Lord's day? The only place for us to be is in spirit. Uh, now, saints, I'd like to repeat the title of this message. If you look, it says, Taking the God-ordained pathway for the church, the way of Philadelphia, according to the Lord's up-to-date and ultimate recovery, to bring us into a new revival, to turn the age. Now, last night, we pointed out that those seven churches in Asia, in Revelation 2 and 3, were actual local churches, but they also signify prophetically the history of the church throughout the ages. And um, this is this is what we're looking at it from this angle uh, in last night's meeting and this meeting this morning. And so, uh, again, Revelation 1.1 points out that the book of Revelation is a book of signs. Signs are symbols with spiritual significance. So these seven churches are not only actual churches, but you look at them uh, from the aspect of signs and symbols with spiritual significance. They have a prophetic significance. You can see the progress of the church throughout the ages. And here we are. We're in the last days, saints. These are the last days. Uh, I believe that with all my heart. You know, um, this has never happened to me. You know, when we wake up in the morning, I think most of us don't wake up uh, swinging from the chandeliers. You know, you know, we're we're trying to wake up and um, and uh, you know, calling the Lord, tell the Lord we love Him. I woke up, and maybe it was about a month ago. As soon as I opened my eyes, the Lord spoke to me, "Ed, are you ready? Are you ready?" And um, I said, Lord, I'm not ready. Uh, and, you know, all these verses started coming to me. The bride has made herself ready. And uh, we need to make ourselves ready, saints, for the Lord's coming. Um, you know, uh, those, um, those virgins in Matthew 25, five were wise, prudent, five were foolish. The wise ones redeem the time to buy oil, and that oil signifies the spirit. So uh, we know that from Proverbs 20, 27, that the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. And so these prudent ones, they have, of course, every regenerated person has oil in their lamp, has oil in their spirit. We all have the spirit in our spirit. But these prudent ones, they redeem the time to buy oil every day, to pay the price to gain more of the spirit every day. So when the Lord returned, they, they did not only have oil in their spirit. Their souls, their mind, their will, their emotion were fully saturated and filled with the spirit. They were they made themselves ready, you see, and so on. 
All these verses were coming to me. I was praying them, praying them back to the Lord. Lord, I like to make myself ready. I like to be with all, all of you. Uh, I like to be a constituent of your bride. Uh, I like to see you at the marriage feast of the Lamb. I like to come down with you from the heavens on our honeymoon. And we come down and we fight the fight at the battle of Armageddon. You, know, you might say, well, what is he talking about? Well, anyway, read, read the life study of Revelation and you'll understand. Uh, but, but saints, um, just real, real briefly, the prophetic significance, we have Ephesus, the initial church, Smyrna, suffering church, Pergamos, the worldly church, Thyatira is the apostate church. Sardis is the church in Reformation, or we can say the Protestant church. And uh, Philadelphia is the church of brotherly love. And throughout history, you know, eventually the Lord arrived there. This is the recovery of the proper church life. This is where we want to be. We want to stay here in the recovery of the proper church life. You know, just like Peter, Peter testified uh, this verse in Revelation 3, Philadelphia, hold fast what you have, right? Um, uh, don't let anyone take your crown from you. It means they already had the crown, right? And uh, if, if you look throughout the New Testament, it's wonderful. You have the crown of righteousness. You have the crown of glory. All these different aspects of you know, the Lord being our crown, our reward in the next age. So we don't want to lose our crown. Uh, and we'll see when we come to the conclusion. Uh, we shouldn't be, we, should, we, should, we, need, we need to say, Lord, save me from all my pride. Save me from lukewarmness, Lord. Save me from Christlessness. Now that means that Christlessness means you don't have his presence. We don't want to be like that. You know, we want to hold fast what we have and the recovery. We don't want anyone to take our crown. Uh, we always have to humble ourselves before the Lord. Even this meeting, we have to say, Lord, I'd like to humble myself before you to, to hear your up-to-date speaking. I really, I say this for myself. I pray this for myself also. Now, the last church, the seventh church, is the church in Laodicea. Prophetically, Laodicea signifies a degraded and distorted Philadelphia. So, saints, I want you to um, to get this point. Prophetically, the only thing that can happen to Philadelphia is that she becomes Laodicea, because Laodicea is a degraded and distorted Philadelphia. So it's very important for us when we pray over, and that that doesn't dismiss uh, any of the first the first three stages historically are over. You know, if you if you look at them historically, the last four stages will be with us until the Lord comes. In each of those stages, Thyatira, the apostate church, uh, Sardis. Uh, the Church and Reformation, or the Protestant Church. 
The Lord says to them, you have a name that you're living, but you're dead. And we don't want to be dead, right? The Lord hates death. And so uh, we want to really be living. We, you know, we have a book in our book room. It's called A Young Man in God's Plan. I don't care how old we are physically. We want to be a young man in God's plan. We like to be young, fresh, living, vital, active, vibrant, vivified with the Lord as our life. And uh, anyway, we don't want to have a name that we're living, but we're dead. And again, we need to we need to aspire. Lord, keep us in the way of Philadelphia. Keep us in the way of loving you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. You know, it's quite remarkable, and, and Brother Ricky knows this. We we uh we were fellowshipping about this uh before one of his messages. You know, um in in uh when the Lord talk tells that parable about the Good Samaritan, you remember the man I asked him, he said, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so he tells the whole story about how, you know, uh, those two religious legal ones, they saw that wounded man in the road. He's dying. That was us, wasn't it? But thank the Lord, a Samaritan came by. You know, uh, the the Jewish religionists and opposers, they, um, they, they wanted to defame the Lord. So they called him a Samaritan. You know, a Samaritan to them was worse than a Gentile. Samaritan was was mixed, mixed, half half Jewish, half Gentile. Worse, worse. And so um here's this Samaritan. He comes down to where this wounded, dying man is. He uh he pours oil and wine in his wounds. Oil signifies the spirit. Wine signifies the vibrant life of God. Uh, he binds up his wounds, right? He, uh, oh my, didn't the Lord do that with us? Amen. He came down. We were, we were, we were dying. We were wounded. He came down to where we were. He didn't just pass by on the other side of the road. He came down. He poured oil and wine into our wounds. He bound up our wounds. He put us, the Samaritan put, put him on his donkey. That's like our car, right? You know, and, and brought him to the inn. The inn is the church. You know, the Lord didn't just bind up our wounds and put us on his means of transportation. Brothers and sisters, he brought us to the divine and mystical inn. Amen. He brought us to the church. And um, he told the innkeeper, he gave the innkeep, innkeeper some of his material supply, and he said, "I want to, I want you to take care of, of him. Um, I want you to take care of him. Here's uh, some supply. Take care of him. You know what that means? When when you bring a new one into the church life, the Lord blesses the church on account of that new one. He blesses the church." And he said, whatever more you 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 spend, I'll repay you when I come. So 
you know, who who is that person's neighbor? It's it's a Samaritan. Who is the Samaritan typify? It typifies that Samaritan typifies the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our neighbor. Amen. Right? Now, when when the Bible says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it means you need to love the Lord. He's your neighbor. Now, but there's another side to this. Uh, if you come to Galatians 5, um, it, uh, there's some verses there where it says, where it quotes, you know, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I forget what, what verse, Ricky, do you remember? Anyway, it's in Galatians 5. And um, it says, if you find it, just shout out to me, whatever, wherever I am. Okay. Uh, um, and then Paul says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You got to read? 514. What does that say? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Now, what's the next verse say? But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed, lest you be consumed by one another. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is the saints. You see, one another. Don't bite one another. Don't devour one another. Love one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, uh, in Luke, the neighbor is the Lord. In Galatians 5, Brother Peter, Eddie is your neighbor. Don't bite him. Don't devour him. Love him. Isn't that wonderful? Brothers and sisters, it just, wow. I just, uh, that, that was kind of a fresh discovery to us, wasn't it, Ricky? Just marvelous, marvelous. Okay, but then you've got uh, the seal, which is a degraded and distorted Philadelphia. And saints, uh, I all, we always have to put these two epistles together because it's it's a degraded and distorted Philadelphia. And so we don't, we need, we need to pray. And uh, I'm always before the Lord about this. Lord, save me from my pride, Lord. We have pride in our, you know, uh, that most honorable archangel. Why did he become Lucifer? Why did he become Satan? Because of pride. He, he, he was full of pride. He looked on himself, you know, look how beautiful I am. And he said, I will just ascend to the throne. In other words, I'm going to dethrone God. I'm going to sit on the throne, and uh, we need to pray, Lord, save me from my pride. You know, it's it's really terrible when you read the epistle of Laodicea. Uh, the Laodicean said this, I have need of nothing. Imagine that. I have need of nothing. I, I know everything. I know everything about I've listened to all the messages, read all the life studies, been in all the meetings. I know that. I've been there. I've done that. I've heard that. Well, let's have a funeral for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Saints, there's, there's so much. There is a vast, unexplored territory of Christ that we need to stretch forward to. He is so unsearchably rich. Um, 
That's why Paul said, this one thing I do, I do one thing, forgetting the things which are behind. Saints, do one thing this morning, all day, forget. Forget the things which are behind. Forget yesterday. Forget last night. Even forget breakfast. Forget the things which are behind. Stretch forward to the things which are before. That is to stretch forward to the vast unexplored territory of Christ within us, right? Stretch forward to the things which are before. And uh, I love Philippians 3, which is I pursue for the goal, for the prize. You know, that Greek word for pursue is the same Greek word for persecute. Same Greek word. So Paul persecuted the church. But then when he got converted, and oh, and a wonderful, it's just his conversion is off the charts. His, his conversion experience is spoken of three times in the book of Acts. It shows how important it is. Um, but he persecuted the church. Now he was persecuting in a positive sense. He was, you know, he was pursuing Christ with his whole being. He wasn't self-contented. He was not self-satisfied. Philippians was written, you know, I, I, and I'm doing an approximate um, thing, uh, was written approximately 25, 26 years after his conversion. He, he, he said, I forget the things which are behind. And he said, he said these three words in Philippians 3.10, to know him, to know him. Paul's Christian life began with a question. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I love that. Lord Jesus. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. That question, who are you, Lord, was being answered his whole Christian life and church life. His Christian life and church life was a quest to know Christ. So approximately 26 years later, he's not satisfied. He says, oh, to know him. Now, if you come to 2 Timothy, I, I can't quote the exact verse. You can find it. He says, I know him whom I have believed. He arrived at the end of his quest, and then he was taken up by the Lord. So don't become self-satisfied. Saints, don't become self-contented. We, we have so much more to know about Christ uh, personally, uh, affectionately, privately, spiritually, intimately, wonderfully. New discoveries of Christ, a new revelation. We like to receive a new revelation of him every day. That should be our aspiration. So, uh, saints, uh, the last four stages of the, of the church historically will be with us until the Lord's coming. The Prostate Church, Protestant Church, Philadelphia Church of Brotherly Love, and Laodicea, a degraded, distorted Philadelphia. Okay, now, let's come to Roman numeral two. And I'm glad, believe it or not, I'm glad we can start with Roman numeral two. It's perfect. Because what we're going to see in Roman numeral two is we're going to see all three aspects of the new revival that will turn this age and bring Christ back with 
the church in Philadelphia, with the church in Philadelphia. All right, now let's, uh, let me read Roman numeral two. It says the characteristic of the overcomers in Philadelphia is their aspiration to arrive at the highest peak of the divine revelation of God's economy. Saints, you see this, they have an aspiration to arrive. They don't say, I've arrived. You see, they have an aspiration to arrive at the highest peak of the divine revelation. None of us can say, We've a, I've arrived at the highest peak of the divine revelation. We're still pursuing. We, we're still in the process of, Lord, uh, take me higher. Um, what is that hymn, uh, Dennis? Oh, lift me up. How does it go? Oh, lift me up. Oh, lift me up and let me stand. My faith on Canaan's table land. Then what, Dennis? Higher ground than I have found. How, what a prayer. Lord, lift us up this morning to higher ground. Now, uh, Saint, I told the brothers, uh, there was this kind of, I don't know, saying in the air that, um, and this is, this is, this is really, okay, I'm just going to say it. This is devilish to say this, but it was going around. Oh, uh, someone was saying, the God ordained way is Brother Lee's unfinished legacy. When you say that, what you're saying is we've already arrived at the highest peak of the divine revelation. We've already entered into the God-man living. Now, this is Bowie's unfinished legacy. We have to enter into the God-ordained way. Oh, that, that, is, that, is, that is really bad to say that. You know, you know, saints, we aspire to arrive at the highest peak. We aspire to enter into the God-man living, and we, we aspire to enter into shepherding according to God. What is the intrinsic significance of the God-ordained way? It is shepherding according to God as love. Now, you know, I'm, I'm skipping over, but I just want to let you know that, you know, uh, the God-ordained way we know is begetting, nourishing, perfecting, and building. Begetting, nourishing, perfecting, and building. That is not a form. That is not a religious ritual. Uh, we saw from John, from John 3 through 11, to beget people. That's shepherding, right? That woman at the well, wasn't the Lord shepherding her? He shepherded her. You're talking to me, a Samaritan, and you're a Jew? Not only that, I'm a woman, and you're a man. You, you know, that was just, and, and she knew. Jews don't talk to Samaritans, but this Jew, this Jewish man does. You know why? Because he is a God man. And so he began a conversation with her that was personal shepherding, which caused her to be born again, caused her to drink of the living water. He said, uh, you remember the Lord said, um, I have, you know, um, he talked about the living water. He said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who speaks with you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
If you knew the gift of God, he's the gift of God. Romans 6 says the gift of God is eternal life. He is that eternal life. If you knew me as the gift of God, if you asked him, he would have given you living water. Saints, I'll just make this statement. You want living water? Just ask him. Just ask him. You would have asked him. When you wake up in the morning, say, Lord, give me yourself as a living water. And he, he'll give you himself as living water. And uh, and we know that at a certain point in their conversation, just, oh, just amazing. Uh, he said, go, call your husband and come here. And, and uh, she said, I don't have a husband. I said, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. Talk about all. It's like Hollywood. You, you know, you know, all these husbands, you go to these. You know those stars? You know, in Hollywood, they, they call them stars. You know, all of those stars are good for, you know, in Hollywood, there's stars on, on, on the walk. That's what they're good for, just walking on, you know. We want to be living, shining stars in ascension, not on the sidewalk. Okay, anyway, uh, he says to her, yeah, that's right. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. And she's, uh, I like this. She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> because he saw her situation. Saints, I love this. He confessed her sins for her. Those five husbands were her sins. You see, anything that we try to satisfy us, other than Christ, we're, is, is a quote-unquote husband. See what I mean? We try to join ourselves to this. Doesn't satisfy. We go to this. Doesn't satisfy. This husband, that husband, this husband. I don't know what your husbands were before you got regenerated. Maybe it was education. Maybe it was a car. Uh, I'm serious. This brother in Houston, he just dreamed about having a Okay, in those years in Texas, to have a Cadillac was like now Cadillac's nothing, you know, you know. But to have a Cadillac was like, oh, he dreamed about having a Cadillac. Eventually, he bought a yellow Cadillac. Can you believe that? Um, and then, and then he real this this Cadillac doesn't satisfy me. Uh, you see, we all have, that's a husband quote quote. You see what I mean? You try to join yourself to this doesn't satisfy. Join yourself to that doesn't satisfy. It, uh, oh, uh, Dennis, how about that hymn? I, 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 it, calls, it talks about the broken cisterns, right? Um, I tried, uh, how does it say it? But ah, the waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. That was us. That was us. So eventually she ran to the village. She, thought, she said, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Saints, that, that is the God-ordained way, saints. That is shepherding people according to God as love. Um, you have Nicodemus before that. You have a moral man. You have an immoral woman. Then you have a man who's powerless. 
and you have an adulterous woman, right? She got, wasn't that shepherding with the adulterous woman? Don't, the garden way is not a thing. It's a person. It's, it's a shepherd. It's shepherding according to God as love. It's being one with him as the great shepherd of the sheep. It's going out to find a sheep that was lost. Uh, oh, some of those hymns that we sang this morning, I was in tears. I just, oh my goodness, that, that hymn on the Father about the Father running toward us, kissing us with a Father's love. Oh, I love Luke 15. Who could, who could say those words? First parable on a shepherd. Second parable on a woman trying to find a lost coin. First parable about God the Son. You know, is it true five? And his judicial redemption. Second parable about God the Spirit and his seeking sanctification. Listen, in the second parable, the Spirit is signified by a woman with a broom. A woman. A woman with a broom sweeping your inner being. Then, you know, because the Spirit was sweeping our inner being, you know, lighting a lamp, you know, with the Word of God illumining us, exposing our condition, uh, uh, sweeping our inner being, causing us to think, you know, you know, search for the meaning of human life. Okay, that prodigal son, we know what happened to him. Then it says, he came to himself. Why did he come to himself? Because of that woman sweeping his inner being. You see, he, he came to his senses. He came to himself. He said, I will rise up and go to my father. And I will say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Let me be as one of your hired servants. He had a whole speech worked up. So he, the father saw him far off, right? If you read closely, it shows that the father was looking for him day after day after day. The father was, I'm, I'm saying this, you know, the father was praying for his lost son. Every day, he had, he had something in a closet waiting, the best robe. It was in a, it was there. It was there. My son's going to come back sooner or later. And I'm going to call them with this, the best Brooks Brothers, Brooks Brothers, or anyone, you know, the best robe. And so he looks out again. He sees his son on the horizon. He could tell by his shape that's his son. You know, one time I was walking on the property at LSM, and I heard this, Brother Ed. I looked back. It's his brother so far away from me. He could tell his brother Ed, of course, my shape. Everybody could tell, you know, brother Ed, you know. Uh, but if you know someone, you could, you could tell, uh, oh, that's brother Ricky. You know, that's brother Peter, you know. So he saw his son. And what did he do? He ran to him. That is the only place in the Bible that says the father ran. Father ran. Saints, that, that just, just does not apply. To someone who is unregenerated, it does apply. But it applies to saints who, who get distracted, who backslide. 
If you turn to God, God will turn to you. You know, in Zechariah 1, I believe it's either the first two verses. He says, it says, return to me and I will return to you. So you make a turn, the father turns. The father runs toward him. Then he has his speech. He has his speech. He starts saying his speech. The father interrupts his speech. You know, interrupts it. And he says, forget about that. I don't want to hear that. He tells the servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. The best robe signifies Christ as our uh, as our righteousness to clothe the penitent sinner. You see, we're clothed with Christ as our righteousness. The ring signifies uh, the, the sealing spirit. The sealing spirit. You see, so we're clothed with Christ as our righteousness to meet the requirements of God and His judicial and His judicial redemption. We're sealed with the Spirit. You know, the sealing of the Spirit means that you belong to God. You know, if you have a seal and you stamp that stamp thing with a seal, it has, I have a seal at home. And so when I get a book, I stamp my seal on it. It says Ed Marks on there. You know, um, you know, a brother from Taiwan, he made me, he gave me a Chinese name. And he gave me a Chinese seal. I don't even know what it says. I, I love it. I love it. I need to bring it to Peter to translate. Anyway, um, that sealing spirit shows that you belong to God. You, you know, you don't, we don't see it. It's invisible. But saint, there's a seal on you. That's a spirit. You, I am not my own. I am not my own. I belong to Jesus, and I am not my own. What do the sandals signify? That signifies the power of God's salvation to separate us from this dirty world. Now, is that enough? No. The prodigal son was so, he was starving. He was starving. That qualifies him to, to come into the house. You see, and so he said, kill the fattened calf. And let us eat and be merry. See, that's the way, you know, in the church life, people come in our midst. They should, they should, these people are eating the Lord Jesus as their spiritual food, and they are full of joy. They're full of joy. So the fattened calf signifies the rich Christ killed on the cross, not only for our redemption, but for our enjoyment, Amen. our enjoyment. Now, you remember the end, at the very end, the oldest son comes. And, and of course, there's a lot there. I got to go on, but he could hear music and dancing. I like that. Now, I'm, you know, I'm playing this figure to me. This is the way the meeting should be, you know? Music. Then, I mean, in the spirit, you know what I mean? That's how I felt in the table. You know, I just, oh, Lord Jesus, I just, just, uh, I told this one dear sister, she gave a testimony last night. Uh, what's her name? Debbie, is she here? Maybe she couldn't make it this morning. It's okay. Uh, tell her what I said. Okay. Uh, when she was testifying, I told her, when you shared, it was like someone playing the harp to me. You know, it's so beautiful. You know, uh, anyway, music and dancing. Then the older son, you know, 
he complained, you never did this for me. And the father said, look, he said, this son, my son, he was dead, but now he lives. He was lost, but now he's been found. And one of them said that, right? When we praise the father. Saints, we used to be dead, right? We were dead in offenses and sins, being two one. But we were made alive together with Christ. We were lost. I was lost. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. I had, listen, you have no compass when you don't know the Lord. You have no compass. You have no direction. And so you're wandering. Uh, um, hallelujah. We were lost, but we've been found. Amen. We've been found. How wonderful. Okay. Now, um, okay, I'm sorry. Now, what is the highest peak of the divine revelation God's economy? Romans 2. The highest, this highest peak is God becoming man. Oh, oh, saints. Again, getting, nourishing, perfecting, building. All are shepherding according to God as love. See, getting, like I said, Gospel John. Uh, nourishing. You have a whole meaning. You have to come to that, that new one with God as love, right? To nourish him. Uh, in the vital group meetings, to perfect one another, you do it in love, in love. When you prophesy on the Lord's Day, you have to be full of love, full of love, because you enjoyed the Lord that week, and you want to impart that enjoyment into the dear saints whom you love. Um, now, uh, okay, let me go on. The highest peak is God becoming man. To make man God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead, so that the body of Christ can be produced, the bride can be prepared, and the new Jerusalem can be consummated. Now, where do we see that with the church in Philadelphia? Um, you know, um, one of the things the Lord said about Philadelphia, he said, I know your works. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. No one can shut the door to the Lord's recovery. Nobody, no man. Impossible. You can't, you think you can beat God? Oh. You need counseling. No one can shut the door to the Lord's recovery. He's, listen to what the Lord said, because you have a little power. Saints, we don't have a lot of power. We have a little power. What does that mean? We need to know. What it means is, is what pleases the Lord is not our doing much for him, but our doing our best for him with what we have. So that's why when, when that woman poured the ointment out of the Lord, in, in, there's three versions of it. In Mark, he said, don't trouble her. Here's what he said. She did what she could. She did what she could. Just remember that, dear saints. Especially you saints with gray hair like me. You know, when we have black hair, we can do a lot of things, right? But then as we get older, we, we did this much. And it starts shrinking, 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 shrinking. And that's good because then we have to focus. We have to, we have to focus our being uh, on, our, on our direct commission from the Lord. What does the Lord commission you to do? 
There'd be just one thing, and you take care of that. What pleases the Lord is not our doing much for him, but our doing our best for him with what we have. And if, if you look at the note, it says what she had, she did. What she had, she did. So we have a little power. And then he said, you have kept my word. Now, what does that mean? Now, we usually think, rightly so, that to keep the Lord's word is to keep this word. We say amen to God's word. We don't, we don't make compromises. But listen to what it, what it means. It also means this. Listen, A says, even though the churches in Asia, that's those seven churches, in a general sense, had turned away from the Apostle Paul's ministry, one church was, see, Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.15, all Asia has turned away from me, in a general sense. That means they turned away from his ministry. To turn away from Paul's ministry, remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.2, I have betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Saints, one of the greatest signs of the New Testament ministry is that when you're under that ministry, it stirs you up to love the Lord Jesus. It stirs you up to love him. You just love him. So Paul's ministry was this way. If you leave his betrothing ministry, which is what Ephesus did, you leave your first love. You see, you leave the factor that stirred you up to love the Lord. So it's, it says, you know, uh, all Asia has turned away from him in a general sense, but one church was unique and was highly appraised by the Lord, the church in Philadelphia. Now listen to this. The Lord highly appraised them and even appreciated them because they kept his word. What does that mean? Listen to this. Which means that they did not turn away from the word of the Apostle Paul's healthy teaching of God's economy, the highest peak of the divine revelation. Anyway, saints, you know, Revelation was written in A.D. 90 about. Second Timothy was written around A.D. 67. That's 23 years. 23 years after Paul wrote his final word to Timothy. 23 years later, Ephesus. He spent three years in Ephesus. He wrote a six-chapter uh, book to the Ephesians. Because they turned away from his ministry, what does it say to them? I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. Saints, stay in the ministry that stirs you up to the uttermost to love the Lord Jesus. You know, I said that one time. There were these sisters. They said, um, I said something like, you know, it's hard to read a life study and not say, Lord Jesus, I love you at some point, maybe in the middle, maybe at the end. You know, these sisters are so dear. He said, well, we're going to put Brother Ed to the test. Let's read the life study together. Let's see what happens. They started reading the life study. They forgot about everything. They were so, wow, wow. You know, oh, this is awesome. Oh, isn't the Lord wonderful? And Lord Jesus, I love you. Brother Ed was right. Anyway, we need to keep the Lord's word. Now, one says, God's eternal economy, we have a song to this, is to make man the same as he is in life and nature, but not in the Godhead, and to make himself one with man and man one with him, thus to be enlarged and expanded 
in his expression that all his divine attributes may be expressed in human virtues. I love that song. You know, the, the saints in New Zealand put that to music, and it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And um, anyway, it, it keeps it in your memory, your, your enlightened memory. Okay, now, two, another definition of God's economy. God's eternal economy is his plan to dispense himself into his chosen, predestinated, and redeemed people as their life, their life supply, and their everything to produce, constitute, and build up the organic body of Christ. Saints, there is a there is a message in the Collective Works of Watchman Nee, volume 37, chapter 29, which I believe the church in New York City, you got into this, it's called Learning by Working. Learning by Working. Now, let me read you two sentences here. This is, this is Brother Watchman Nee. When God mingles himself into us, the expression of such a life becomes our usefulness. Now, now listen to this. This was a new discovery for me. This is, this is Watchman Nee. God's only goal in time is to dispense himself into us day by day. How about that? How about that? Now, wasn't Brother Lee one with Brother Nee? Of course he was. Saints, God's goal in this meeting is to dispense himself into you. Amen. Don't miss his dispensing today. That's his goal. He wants to dispense himself into us day by day. All right, now, let's come to B. It says, those in Philadelphia are rich toward God. You know, in Luke 12, 21, you remember that tells the story of this man. He, uh, he was rich, and he had all these crops. Big barns. Then he got more wealth. You know, of course, that was his crops. He said, what should I do? I'll build some bigger barns. I'll get an IRA. I'll get a Roth IRA or whatever. I'll invest in Wall Street, whatever, you know, and I'll, I'll store it, you know. And then the word comes to him, foolish man, this night your soul is going to be required of you. Your soul. See, I said earlier, the Lord is concerned about our soul. Is there oil in your mind? Is there oil in your will? Is there oil in your emotions? You know, in Hebrews, you go to Hebrews, it says to regard the elders, to regard the leading ones. Why? Because they watch over your souls. In other words, a proper leading one, he's concerned about the oil level in you. What's the oil level? You know, if you drive a car, a car starts smoking, you check the oil, it's much oil, right? Listen, when we don't have a high level of spirit, smoke comes out. You know, our wife says something, well, put the dipstick in, oil this much, right? We need a, we need a fresh filling of the spirit uh, every day. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay. So, uh, saints, what does that mean? What the Lord gives us. We need to invest in him and the church. Of course, uh, we need that. Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, even though I don't care how you speak about me, you know, they're speaking some, some negative things about Paul. He said, I will, I will 
still utterly be spent upon. I will spend what I have, and I will spend my being on you. In other words, I, I'm going to spend my I'm going to spend my money on you. I'm going to take you out to lunch. You think that's a small thing? It's not a small thing. You know, I purposed when I was in church in Irving, I wanted to shepherd all the saints. And uh, I said, you know, I like to have one-on-one -on -one contact with all the brothers. Best way to do it. Take them out. You know, they're working. So I, I drove all the way to downtown Dallas. I still remember. That's a long way. Uh, from Irving to Dallas, you know, downtown Dallas. And I had lunch with this dear brother. Oh, I still can see him. He's with the Lord now. We had lunch together. And and what happened? Oil. We were dispensing oil into one another. You see? And, um, and um, anyway, you invest what you have in the saints. No, he said, I will utterly be spent. I will spend and be utterly spent. That means he spent his material possessions. He spent his being on the saints. Not only that, saints, this applies to our giving, our giving. The Lord, you get a check, you need to realize the Lord gave you that check. Don't think I'm, you know, I'm the Wall Street banker, whatever, you know. Okay, maybe you are. But you're, you're maybe you're a Wall Street banker, you're in the church, the reason why you're a banker is because of the Lord's mercy. It's just the Lord's mercy. So we need to be givers. God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. You know that word cheerful in the Greek means hilarious. Amen. God loves a hilarious giver. Amen. That means when you go off and go, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But how do we get rich toward God? Look. By pray reading, amusing upon his word, to treasure up his word in our heart. And I want to tell you, you can, you can read that. You can read the notes on that. They lift up their hands unto the word of God, indicating that they receive it warmly and gladly and that they say amen to it. Saints, when you're having a time with the Lord, I hope at least once uh, you, get, you, you enter into an ecstasy. I'm not saying, you know, that that happens every time. But Brother Lee said, if that has never happened to you, I'm concerned for you. You know, Paul said this. Um, um, you remember uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, you remember, remember he said, uh, Ricky, help me. He said, toward God we were, but toward you we, we were sober-minded for your sake. What did he say before sober-minded? I, I can't, I'm having a senior citizen moment here. Okay. What? That's it. Thank you, brother. We were beside ourselves to God. But we didn't come to you beside ourselves. Ah. Peter, ah. Peter can't take that. I'm beside myself in my personal time with God. Then I come to Peter, I'm sober-minded. He doesn't know. Ed's the, Ed, Ed, Ed had an ecstatic time with the triune God. So I bring the God's presence with me. To Peter, you see, uh, we need to have a time with God. I'm serious. When we're in the Word and we lift up our hands physically, you know, your wife doesn't see it. Nobody sees nothing, brother. Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. I welcome your Word into my being, and right now I say Amen to it. Amen. You don't even know where you are. 
You come out of the door and your wife says, what happened to my husband? Okay. Anyway. All right. Now, let's come to see. For the overcomers to be pillars in the temple means that they will be pillars in the triune God. The temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So for you to be a pillar in the temple means that you have been built into the triune God. You become a part of the infrastructure of the triune God. So it says, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. God is built into them to make them living in precious stones, and they are built into God to make them pillars of stone in God for their incorporation with God as the mutual abode of God and man. Now, isn't that the highest peak of the divine revelation? The New Jerusalem, what is it? The New Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God for God to dwell in. The New Jerusalem is the temple of God for us to dwell in. It's the mutual abode of God and man. Therefore, the New Jerusalem is a great universal God-man. God and man. And man and God, mutual dwelling, thus possessed. We have a hymn like that uh, about the New Jerusalem. Okay, now let's come to D, that the name of God, the name of the New Jerusalem, and the Lord's new name are written upon the overcomer, indicates that the overcomer is possessed by God, is possessed by the New Jerusalem, is possessed by the Lord, and that God himself, his city, the new Jerusalem, and the Lord himself all belong to him. Isn't that wonderful? Then E, let the name of God, the name of the new Jerusalem, and the Lord's new name are written upon the overcomer. Indicates that what God is, the nature of the new Jerusalem, and the person of the Lord have all been wrought into them, labeling them with a triune God as their name badge. How about that? And making them God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. Why does it say make, why does it say name badge? Trying God is our name badge. Because Revelation 22 4, you know, when we fully become a New Jerusalem, it says his name will be on our foreheads. See, just like this. It doesn't say, Peter, what's your last name? Chow? Chow. That's S H. Shao, okay. You know, uh, Peter has to correct me because I don't know the tones in Chinese. You know. <laughs> okay, I, I give up here. I have to just say Shao, okay. <laughs> but when we become the New Jerusalem, what am I going to see labeled on Peter? God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. That's his name badge. That's our name badge. Is that the high peak of the divine revelation or what? Okay, now let's come to two. Let's come to three. Second aspect. The characteristic of the overcomers in Philadelphia is they're endeavoring. Again, endeavoring. We haven't arrived yet. We're still endeavoring to enter into the God-man living by enjoying the riches of Christ as their indwelling treasure. Now, where do we get this from? Revelation 3 the Lord's word to Philadelphia. He says that, um, he mentions the key of David, the key of David. Now, 
you know, this, the, the word in Revelation was given to the Apostle John. That term, the key of David, you have to go all the way back to Isaiah 22, first mention of the key of David. Now, look at A. In Isaiah 22, God fired Shebna. This is what the verses say in Isaiah 22. God fired Shebna, a steward in the house of the king, and replaced him with Eliakim, a type of the all-inclusive Christ as the steward in God's house, the one upon whose shoulder the key of the house of God is set. Christ has the key. That's the key of David. Christ has the key to control the door of God's treasury, in which are the riches of God in Christ for our enjoyment. See, that key is so big, you can't put it in your pocket. You have to put it on your shoulder. That means the door is massive. The treasury house is massive. You have to take that key to do this. You probably have to do with a lot of strength to open the door. You know what that treasury is? That's our spirit. Our spirit is the treasury house of David. And so what does Christ our steward do? We turn our heart to him. We exercise our spirit. He takes the key, opens the door, and the riches come out in our soul. It's wonderful. Now, now listen to what he says about Shebna. He says this to Shebna. He said, what are you doing here? Jehovah soon throws you far away, O mighty one, and grants you firmly. He will wind you up tightly like a ball. He will toss you into a wide land. Now, we will, we'll see here in, in a little bit that all of us are Shebnas. You see, Shebna, of course, was, was, he was a steward. God didn't want him to be a steward. A steward. He wanted Christ to be a steward. So what did he do to Shebna? He winds him up like a ball and tosses him into a wide land. And, you know, I was sharing this. I was thinking I'm breaking when I shared this because uh, I won't, well, I'll try to, I'll try to limit myself here. Uh, listen, I asked the trainees. I would, I was talking about this verse. I said, how many of you have seen a Major League Baseball game? You brought it down one like this. They wouldn't raise their hand. I said, don't be so spiritual. Come on. <laughs> I mean, all these hands go up, you know. And I said, okay, uh, haven't you seen some outfielders with such strong arms? Oh, I tell you, when I was, when I was young, uh, I lived in Pittsburgh. I was 11, 12 years old. I used to sit in the left field bleachers. And uh, Jose Pagan, later he got saved, came in the recovery. That's the whole story in itself. You know, Benjamin Chen and I were in the Dominican Republic. And Jose Pagan and his wife were sitting across from me. You know, I used to watch him play when I was 12 years old. I said, Jose, I watched you hit a walk-off home run to win the game. I said, Jose, I said to his wife, isn't this a miracle? You know, here I am. I'm 11 years old. Here you are. You're on the field. Now, we're both saved. We're being transformed. And we're sitting here in the Dominican Republic, enjoying the Lord in the Lord's recovery. We looked at one another. We said, wow, what a miracle. What a miracle. But, you know, in baseball, you know, I'm sorry. Okay. 
I don't know. It's hard for me not to say it, Ricky. <laughs> you know, Ricky likes Derek Jeter. And I understand why. Okay. But when I grew up, it was the great Roberto. Roberto Clemente. Oh, okay. Don't, you know, it's not a life study. So don't, don't talk about it. You know, he was a right fielder. His arm was like a rocket. Oh, it was unbelievable. And all the, all the fans in the stands, we used to just, you know, someone would round first base, right field. He would fire a bullet to first place, and he's out. You better be careful rounding first base when Clemente's around right field. You know what I mean? Don't round too far. You're going to be out, right? And then, you know, okay, forgive me, those of you who know baseball. If someone's on second base and you get a single, the guy on second base automatically home, okay? When here's someone on second base, single, trick Clemente, he stops at third base. No way. Not going home. And all, all the crowds are, ooh, oh, you know. Just, okay. Roberto Clemente had that arm. Do you think, who has the better arm, the Triumph God or Roberto Clemente? <laughs> the Triumph God winds you up like a ball and throws you oh, over the roof of Yankee Stadium <laughs> into a distant land. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm using a physical example. Um, all right, now. And like him, again, I, I, I told you that he sets the key of David on his shoulder. Now, uh, let's go on. Listen to this one. When Christ, when God created us, he hired us. Amen. Didn't he? He hired us. You were made in God's image. After God's likeness, he gave Adam dominion. He hired us. Listen to this. And when he put us on the cross, crucifying us with Christ, he fired us. Amen. Saints. You have been fired. Amen. This is the only time you can be full of joy when someone tells you're fired, right? Okay, two. Whatever or whoever is not Christ, God fires. God has replaced everything in his old, in his old Testament economy with Christ. Of course, we know on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, Moses and, and Elijah are there. You know the whole story. The Lord says, this is my son, the beloved. Hear him. Hear him. He is the unique one. Right? Okay. Three, listen to this. The real church life is a life in which all the saints are fired and replaced with Christ. Making Christ everything in the church. All of us are Shebnas who should be removed and replaced by Christ as the real Eliakim to make us his duplication as stewards of the mysteries of God and stewards of the very grace of God. For it says, in the New Testament, Christ's replacing of us is altogether a matter of a grafted life. We've been grafted into Christ. We used to be branches of a wild olive tree. That wild olive tree signifies Adam, fallen Adam. But on the cross, we got cut off from that tree. And we got grafted into Christ. Now, all of Christ's history as that cultivated olive tree, when we got grafted into him, 
His history becomes our history. Amen. How wonderful is that? Amen. Okay. As wild all branches, we have been grafted into Christ as a cultivated all tree. Thus, we are united with Christ, and in this union, Christ replaces us. Paul says, because we have been joined to Christ, and Christ joined himself to us, uniting himself with us, when he died on the cross, we died with him and were terminated. Now, in our organic union with Christ, he replaces us. We're not exchanged. This is in an exchange life. See, he replaces us how? By living in us, with us, by us, and through us. Too glorious. Okay, six. We live, yet not we, but Christ lives in us. We live by the faith of the Son of God. Uh, this indicates a union with Christ. On the one hand, we are fired. On the other hand, we are not expelled. For Christ comes to live in us, with us, by us, and through us. Thus, the all-inclusive Christ as Emmanuel replaces everything and becomes everything in God's economy. B says, in order to enjoy the riches of God in Christ as the treasure, we need to remain in the touch with the Lord. You might think, oh, this is a typo. Not a typo. You might think, oh, Ed, your English is bad. I was an English teacher. Remember that. Okay. Remain, not remain in touch with the Lord. Remain in the touch with the Lord. That means, when you say the touch with the Lord, that means it's special. It's significant. It's unique. You see, the touch with the Lord. And Ricky is going to share that on Thanksgiving. Don't miss his sharing. Remain in the touch with the Lord. Staying in contact with the Lord according to the sense of life and exercising ourselves to be poor in spirit and pure in heart. She says, in order to enjoy the riches of God in Christ as the treasure, we need to use the keys. Keys, three keys, deny the self, take up the cross, lose this whole life. You know, those three keys are included in the key of David. How about that? Exercise your spirit to remain in the touch with the Lord. Exercise your spirit, take Christ as your person, Deny the self. Take up the cross. Lose your soul life. The riches of Christ are unlocked in you. Okay, D. The Lord's using the key of David to open the door for the spread of his recovery is objective to us. But Christ is also using the key of David to subjectively open the door in our inner being for us to be transformed and built into the house of God as a pillar with the name of God the name of the new Jerusalem, and the new name of the Lord. Now, one, you know, these points under here, saints, I discovered this by reading the collective works of Witness Lee. You know, I read, there's two life studies on this. I thought, I got it all. Then I made a new discovery. I said, where was I? I was in the church in Anaheim. I was editing the ministry. I missed this. Where was I when Brother Lee shared this? You know, I don't know what happened. Maybe I, was, I wasn't well, I don't know, but I'm going to read you what I missed. Okay, the name of my God indicates that the pillar is God. The name of the city of my God indicates that the pillar is the new Jerusalem. And my new name indicates that the pillar is Christ in a new significance. The overcomer as a pillar becomes God in life and nature but not in the Godhead. He becomes a constituent of the new Jerusalem and he becomes Christ in a new 
experiential sense. Two says the new Jerusalem is the new Christ. How about that? Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah? The new Jerusalem is the new Christ. You know, in eternity past, God was the bachelor God. He wanted to be married. He's a bachelor. So he, he comes out of divinity, out of eternity, uh, uh, into time, with the divinity, into humanity. He becomes the incarnated God, right? That's your human living. He becomes, he gets crucified. You know, uh, Charles Wesley wrote a hymn that, that thou, my God, should die for me. How did God die for us? Because he became a man. Then he became the resurrected God. Again, he's, he has humanity. He becomes the intensified God in Revelation. Then <laughs> he becomes the incorporated God. He builds himself into us. He builds us into him. He steps off the bridge of time as a new Christ. Amen. He's in us and we're in him. When he steps off the bridge of time, he steps off in us, with us, by us, and through us. We are one with him. Absolutely one. Okay, uh, let me go on. As God's enlargement and expansion, we are Christ in a new sense, as a new Jerusalem. The new Christ is not the same as he was in the four Gospels. The bride, who is the increase of the bridegroom, is the new Jerusalem, including all of God's regenerated ones. For us to be built into God, become a constituent of the new Jerusalem, and become a part of the new Christ is humanly impossible. But the law of the spirit of life within us contains an element that deals with impossibility. Saints, listen to this. The Lord Jesus only deals with impossible cases. That's what we were. We're impossible cases. He specializes in impossible cases. Can you imagine if a doctor set up an office? Only impossible cases can come in here. That's us. Okay. Uh, okay, now we come to E. I'm on the Amtrak train. Going through this. Okay, E. The overcomers in Philadelphia pay more attention to life than to work. They care more about quality than quantity. You know, I shared this. We have a little power. What pleases the Lord is not our doing much for him, but our doing our best for him with what we have. Then F says, the overcomers in Philadelphia do not deny the Lord's name. They abandon all names other than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. They call upon the name of the Lord. How about we say, oh, Lord Jesus, I love you right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. Say, that's calling on the name of the Lord. Don't be religious. Surely we need to say, Lord Jesus. How about, oh, Lord Jesus. You know, I was taking care of a new one. He's in the lead now. He went to medical school. All these opposers were attacking him. They said, Brother Ed, I don't know what to do. These opposers said to me, why do you people say, oh, I mean, I can't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Oh, Lord Jesus. Why do you say, oh, Lord Jesus? I said, okay, brother. I got, you know, these are the days when you have books. You know, you don't, you can't, you don't have an iPhone. I get out my strong concordance, like this thick, you know, heavy. I said, let's look up the word, oh. Hundreds and hundreds of O's. Oh, God. You are my God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. 
You know what, Omi? If I say, if, if, if I call Peter's name, and I want Peter, I say, Peter. What do you say? But if I say, oh, Peter. <laughs> you see the difference? I really want, oh, Peter. Anyway, every word is significant. Every word we say here is from the Bible. Why do you say oh so much? Because the Bible says oh. Ridiculous. What a ridiculous attack. Okay. Uh, they openly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They do not preach themselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and themselves as the believers slaves for Jesus' sake. Okay. Now we come to the third aspect of the new revival. Shepherding according to God. The characteristic of the overcomers in Philadelphia is their brotherly love. Love prevails among them so that they shepherd people according to God. According to God means according to God's nature, according to God's desire, according to God's way, and according to God's preference. And how do we shepherd people? We cherish them with the cheering presence of God. Saints, you cannot shepherd someone with a, with a, a downcast countenance. You need to be a miserable Christian like I am. You think they want to be a Christian when they look at your face and you're miserable? You look miserable? I don't want to be like you. You know, but if you're, you're shining, why is, why is that? Why is Peter so happy? He's under so much pressure. There's so many problems. He's full of joy. There's something about him that's different. You see, you, you need to have an up. Listen, Psalm 42. I think it's verse 5. It talks about the salvation of his countenance. Then I believe the end of Psalm, verse 11, it says, Lord, you are the salvation of my countenance. Saints, our countenance needs to be saved. We need the salvation of his countenance. Then how about our countenance? It needs to be like that yellow thing, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, and we nourish them with the healthy teaching of God's economy. And he says the Lord's recovery with Philadelphia is a recovery in quality, a recovery of the original substance of the church, the inner substance of God, which is love, to stand on the genuine ground of oneness, the ground of the church. Why do we stand as a church in New York City? Because we choose to love all the brothers, not just the brothers here, to love all the brothers. We love all the Christians in New York City. We love all the Christians all over the earth, regardless of how, what they, you know, how they, you know, name themselves or whatever. They are still, if they're regenerated, they're a member of the church. Amen. Am I right? Amen. They're regenerated, they're a member of the body. You don't need a membership card to come in that door. Your membership card is the triune God in your spirit. Okay, B, the Lord's recovery is a recovery of loving the Lord Jesus. Oh, I already said that, right? Okay. Uh, we need to keep ourselves in the love of God and love all the brothers. All right. Then C, the overcomers in Philadelphia, keep the Lord's word and his unique New Testament ministry, which brings them into, saints consider, you read the life studies, you read the books, uh, you become what you read. You become, if you read in a spirit and atmosphere of prayer, you become what you read. 
And so uh, read the ministry. Read a life study a day. Keep the devil away. Amen. Or a message a day. You know, I, I work on brothers up to date. You know, when he was speaking, I always work on his conferences. You know, Demond does the, the life studies, and um, that's why Benson said, "Ed, I want you to come with me, travel with me all over Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Louisiana, because you know what Billy's speaking right now. Come with me." And of course, I give the transcript to Benson, so we bring all the saints everywhere up to date where Billy where Billy is right now, right now. Wonderful. I love being with Benjamin. I love I love being with Benjamin. I love Benjamin. Chen. You don't know about him? Ask, ask these brothers about him. I don't again, I don't say I love Benjamin. I love Benjamin Chen. Present tense. Okay. Um Okay, the ministry. You know, stirs up our love for the Lord, our enjoyment of the Lord. Indeed, in order to minister life to others and maintain our victory for the building up of the church. Saints, we have already won the victory. Amen. Victory, victory, hallelujah. Amen. Praise him, praise him. Christ is victor. He has won the victory. We have to stand on that. Now we need to maintain our victory. How do we do that? We need to have a revived living. Amen. You see, that means that's why we need to be revived every morning. We need to take root downward, bear fruit upward. You know, I, forgive me, I, I, you know, Ricky knows these verses, this I, so I wrote them down, but I don't want to look for them. I got, I'm, I'm trying to race through here, you know what I mean? But take root downward, bear fruit upward. You'll be revived every morning. Don't you think I was revived this morning? Yeah. You believe that, Peter? I went to bed. I was so tired. It was all my fault. It was all my fault. I kept Peter and Ricky. You know, they had to shepherd me. I just, oh, Lord Jesus. So I, I asked Ricky, oh, Peter, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I'm right now, forgive me, dear brother, for emoting so much to you. You know, emoting. I, because I don't have Benson. I don't have Brother Lee anymore. I don't have Benson. I don't have Andrew. What should I do? I have Peter. I'm written. <laughs> so I asked Peter, I asked Rebecca, please forgive me. You know what I mean? I, they started fellowshiping me. I said, okay, we'll leave at nine. I don't know when we left. It was all my fault. I just, but they shepherded me. You know why? They just listened to me. Let's listen to this crazy lover of Jesus. You know what I mean? Okay, anyway. And we have a labor in shepherding saints. That's how we maintain our victory. Shepherd, shepherd the saints, shepherd people that flow out from our love for the Lord and for the brothers. And then it says, beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. And everyone who loves has been begotten of God and knows God. He who does not love has not known God because God is love. Now I want to skip over to H. This is God. This was Brother Lee's intention for the International Elders Conference in April 1997. I wrote this down. These are Billy's handwritten notes. You know what? I have them in a frame on my wall. I took a photocopy with his notes. You know, you know, one time 
I was in a meeting not long after I moved to Anna. Uh, you know, we have a table and we have prophesying meeting. So I'm, my head is down. All of a sudden, I feel this hand, you know, grab my hand and put a piece of paper in my hand. I'm, what in the world is going on? I look up, it's Brother Lee. Then he goes back to his seat. Then I open up the note. It says, Brother Ed, would you have the burden to give an opening word on Psalm 8? I almost had a heart attack. I, I, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus. Well, I, I did it, you know, I really enjoyed so many from, his, from what he shared. I've got that in a frame. Anyway, that means a lot to me. That handwriting is from the most important man in the world to me. I'm sorry, if you don't know Brother Lee, you don't, anyway, I knew Brother Lee. Amen. And uh, I owe so much to him. Okay, let's skip down. Uh, look at I. Billy's final word to the elders in Anaheim, what was it? The elders need to love one another. We thought he was going to share a final word. High peak of the divine revelation. You know, something. Like, you know, that's our concept. No. You elders, you need to love one another. Your wives need to love one another. And you need to love one another's children. That, that's a word for all of us saints. We shepherd one another. We need to love one another. Our wives need to love one another. We need to love one another's children. You know, my, my son is in the full-time training. Went to the full-time training. He comes home. He said, oh, mom and dad, you can't believe what Brother James Lee shared. So awesome. This is that. I'm thinking, Aaron, I already shared that with you. You know, yeah. You know. <laughs> but... You see, it's like that. And if you, you, you take care of your kids, then you have to hand them off to the brothers, the sisters. They take them on further. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, in order to continue in the way of Philadelphia, we must be saved from the way of Laodicea, which is a degraded and distorted Philadelphia. Now, you can read these points uh, later. Saints, I would just say we need to be saved from lukewarmness, we need to be saved from pride, we need to be saved from Christlessness. Every day, every day. And we need to be saved out of everything related to Laodicea into everything of Philadelphia, which is the highest peak of the divine revelation, the God-man living and shepherding according to God, which is the intrinsic significance of the God-ordained way. Okay, I'll stop here.